Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we bring you exclusive insight and stories from David and our team of writers. Coming up today, we take you inside the mechanics behind the transfer deals that did happen in this window and those that didn't, including the very long saga concerning you-know-who. Plus, we have all the details on an Arsenal story that The Athletic broke exclusively yesterday involving a club legend. To read all the articles we discuss on today's podcast in full, simply head to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up for just £1 a month. And subscribers to The Athletic can submit questions to David in the comments section of his weekly column by using the hashtag AskOrnstein and then he'll pick his favourites for his YouTube show and make sure you subscribe to the TIFO podcast YouTube channel. So it has been a very long transfer window in exceptional circumstances. So what I thought we'd do at the start of this pod, David, is to go right back to the start of the window, go through all the deals that you said were going to happen and see how many you got right. Is that all right? <laughs> no, it's not all right. Uh, you're just trying to embarrass me on our own platform. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And as we always say... Uh, in any transfer deal, you're going to be hearing a lot of different things from a lot of different sources. I would imagine, therefore, it's yeah. been hectic for you. Yeah, probably more hectic than normal because there was the added complication of COVID and the extreme financial conditions, which might not appear to be the case when you look at the overall spend. Certainly the gross outlay as opposed to the the net spend, that looks pretty normal and in my opinion, exorbitantly high. But there were many clubs who were in incredibly tricky financial situations, which meant that some deals collapsed very late in the process, right at the last minute. Some deals looked to be coming along quite nicely and then just fell away. Medicals were failed. COVID restrictions meant travel was more difficult. Negotiations were harder because many of them couldn't take place face to face. And so we did report on a lot of possibilities that did not come to fruition. And equally a lot that did. And there'll be some clubs that are very pleased with their business, especially in those circumstances we mentioned, and plenty of clubs who won't. And we've got a lot of this story still to run because the domestic window remains open until Friday the 16th, I think it is. So EFL clubs will be looking to do business with Premier League clubs and League One and Two clubs to keep money flowing through the English football pyramid. And then January will be extremely interesting because a lot of players didn't get moves this summer that were meant to, wanted to, needed to. Clubs weren't able to shift players out, whether they were asking too much as clubs to the potential buying or or loaning club or the players wanted 
too high a salary. Agreements couldn't be struck on proportion of salary to be paid, loan fees, etc. And so, you know, you just look at a club like Chelsea with the likes of Emerson and Alonso, Danny Drinkwater, Liverpool with Shakiri, Harry Wilson. You can go through club by club, find out players who were meant to move and didn't, Eric Garcia at Manchester City. And I would imagine with the European Championships to follow in the summer that there is going to be an enormous flood of loan deals in the winter window to get players off the books to free up squad space, to get players who aren't even in squads and are at home on their sofa to another club and to get them playing ahead of the championships or just to get their careers back on track. It's an incredibly interesting, difficult, complex time. How many weeks of the podcast will we not talk about Jadon Sancho for? Then We're not going to do it again, are we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, obviously uh, okay. now. It wouldn't be the podcast uh, without it. Well, it wouldn't, no. And we'll, yeah, by the way, we'll come on to Arsenal later, just in case uh, Arsenal fans are listening. That's reassuring. But, um, <laughs> um, I mean, are we going to be talking about Jadon Sancho in the in the January transfer window? On The Athletic right now, there's a really good long read from you on the, on the real story behind the, well, uh, hopeless, shambolic, whatever you want to say, pursuit. Of Sancho, loads of sources on on all sides. But are we going to talk about it in in January again or not? Those were your words, not mine. But I do give you some grace because they were in the headline, I think, too. Um, and yeah, there, there's going to be a lot said and written about this in the coming days, weeks, months. You'd imagine. I don't see January being a possibility for Jaden Sancho. You don't tend to see deals of this size struck in the winter window. They tend to be in the summer, so that means it's most likely to develop again in the summer of 2021. I think that would be Jadon Sancho's preference. I think it would also be the expectation of Dortmund, given that they all think he's staying for one more year. It'd be really interesting to watch how that relationship develops. We've got no indication that Sancho is going to agitate um, aggressively for a move away, but I think he did agitate to an extent in the in the last couple of weeks. He didn't go overboard because there was no point going overboard because Manchester United were just not in a position to close out this deal. They didn't come close enough. I don't think they showed him that they wanted him enough. Certainly, that's something that I've learned from conversations that he sort of felt somewhat undervalued by United's summer-long pursuit that didn't really even come close. And there was no movement in the final few days at all, uh, by which point he had already long since turned his head towards a, a future move, as I understand it, and and focusing on pre-season and then the new season with Dortmund. But we know how these sort of sagas develop and there will be interest from many clubs, provided that the financial climate improves going into next summer. I'm not sure Manchester United will get another bite at the cherry. Uh, we've seen strange things happen in football and never say never, but I think some bridges will need to be rebuilt after this process. There are a lot of claims and counterclaims in that article you mentioned, which I should point out was more the work of Laurie Whitwell and Raphael Honigstein, but I did add to it. And there is a lot of dispute going on between all parties. Manchester United have a version of events. Borussia Dortmund have a version of events. Sancho's representatives, the intermediaries who worked on the deal, have a version of events. We could go on and on about the detail of that piece. But in a shameless plug, I would suggest people go and read it. Adam Crafton uh, from The Athletic as well, who joins us. I mean, you, you will know as well that if Sancho goes to another club next summer that all the heat that is on Ed Woodward at the moment will be multiplied tenfold from United fans if he goes somewhere else when he eventually does leave Dortmund. 
Yeah, and I think most of that will depend on what Manchester United do between now and next summer on the pitch. If they carry on conceding six goals at home, then Edward Wood will have many more problems long before next summer. I, th- I think with Sancho, the problem United will have is that if you look at Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, they've all had quite reserved summers and even uh, Juventus as well. And I get the sense they have decided to take a wait-and-see approach to the transfer market. Let's see what the impact of COVID is. We saw Barcelona yesterday release um, financial figures that were frighteningly bad in terms of their debt levels. So I think a lot of major European clubs have taken an approach which is let's let's see how, how the pandemic affects the sport. Whereas the events seen in the Premier League, you know, it's almost been for certain clubs viewing it as an opportunity to strike when others um, are perhaps taking a more reserved approach to the market. And I think United will therefore face much more competition next summer for Sancho. What we don't know is the exact financial situation of Manchester United around Mm. this deal. We don't know if they were able to do the deal but didn't want to that they were not able to do the deal but really wanted to or perhaps a bit of both. They wanted to do the deal but they weren't prepared to go quite to the level that Dortmund wanted. And I think that presents a confusing picture for for Dortmund, for Sancho, um, especially because Dortmund and United didn't really have firm negotiations over this. It was done through the intermediaries and there's dispute over who said it should be done by uh, through the intermediaries, with Manchester United saying they were told to and Dortmund saying they never told them to, etc. And meanwhile, you've got Jadon Sancho in the middle of this, who I think was open to joining Manchester United. He, he would have been happy to go there. But it gets to a point where if a club is not showing the sort of overtures towards you that you expect them to, then you kind of throw your hands up in the air and say... What's the point? And that leads into Adam's point about the possibility of other clubs being more attractive next summer. Make no mistake that if the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona are in for Jadon Sancho next summer, then they're going to be more attractive to him than Manchester United, given what has gone before. Uh, Adam, I mean, we talked about all the different sides involved in that Jadon Sancho transfer. If you widen it, out with you know all these different people now involved in the mechanic of a transfer. You've written a, a, a piece on the Athletic there. Panic, dirty games, skipped medicals. Um, you write in that that the consequences for clubs of the extended window uh, are significant. Just explain why. Yeah, well, I think this this window has actually been a little bit of a throwback to what we had a few years ago when the transfer window would extend into the playing season. We've had this. This, consens- this very sensible consensus over the last couple of seasons, which has seen the Premier League clubs decide, no, we're actually going to stop the window before any action starts. That way, the managers know exactly who they've got in their squad and it doesn't rumble on into the opening weeks of the season. And then you get panic buys that, I suppose, if you go back to that famous Manchester United 8, Arsenal 2 results where Arsenal were very active on the back of that, they were probably going to be active anyway, but it, it increased the pressure. And I think... You know, certainly Manchester United yesterday were under all sorts of heat um, following the result, the results that they've had at the start of this season. And I think it, it does bring in an increased layer of complication because, you know, I've, I've spoken to people around clubs the last few days and certain clubs have felt that their players have seen an excuse in that if the market's open and everyone's going to just talk about, oh, why haven't Man United signed players? Then that gives the players who are on the pitch a little bit of an excuse, blame the board. 
Um, and it makes it very difficult for head coaches as well because they find themselves having to leave players out of squads because a transfer saga is rumbling on. I think it's been a very difficult situation perhaps for Burnley with James Tarkovsky. I know there's been a suggestion that, that he's been injured, but there was also significant speculation about a transfer there as well throughout the last few weeks. So I, I think it's made life very difficult for those clubs perhaps who hadn't been sufficiently proactive over the summer months. It struck me when doing Deadline Day and in a few other um, shows that I've done recently that there was quite a tendency to for loan deals, but then with a future fee involved. And it seemed like quite a few deals fell through because of clubs didn't necessarily, on either side, may have not wanted a loan deal and then a future fee, or they didn't want a future fee guarantee at the end of it. What was the loan to buy a reason why a lot of deals fell through, or were there other recurring themes why transfers didn't happen? No, you're absolutely correct, and I think even yesterday um, on the on the the deadline day evening, um, you know, there was a fascinating situation that was developing, for example, which involved Memphis Depay potentially going from Lyon to Barcelona. Um, the situation with Depay, for example, was that his contract is due to expire next summer. That therefore meant that he, he was available for less than £20 million yesterday and Barcelona could not afford that because of their, their financial situation. And what that meant was that Barcelona themselves had to raise significant funds. Leon were under the impression that Barcelona needed a multiple of whatever they were going to pay for Depay, which could have been even up to four times. So we're talking potentially £50, £60 million they needed to bring in on deadline day in order to finance that move for Memphis Depay. And I think their hope, knowing that Manchester United needed a right winger, was that maybe United will come to the party with, um, with, with, a, with a package that, 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 that could make that work. Now, United were only open um, initially to a loan move um, because perhaps they were, you know, to go back to Sancho, were thinking, you know, get Dembele this season and then you go and get, go back and get Sancho next season. But they probably would have put an option to buy in. What they wouldn't have wanted in that deal is an obligation because that, that forces them into the deal. But from Barcelona's point of view, all that really would have done is take him off the wage bill for a year, which just wasn't enough in that situation. So I think increasingly, as clubs seek to raise funds, I don't think it's going to be enough in these really high-profile moves to simply say, yeah, we'll take the players' wages off your hands because they, 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 need, they need the funds now. Good stuff, Adam. Thanks a lot. Thank Talk you, to you Adam. soon. No probs. See you soon, guys. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, the biggest deadline deal was Arsenal signing Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid. David, along with James McNicholas, have a big read-up on The Athletic now explaining uh, how that deal was done. I suppose the question, James, that a lot of people are asking, not Arsenal fans because they're just celebrating getting him, but a lot of people is... Why did it take till deadline day when he had this release clause that could have been triggered at any time? It's a good question, Mark. I mean, one of the reasons I think that it took as long as it did is simply because Arsenal could afford to wait. Knowing they had that clause, they could always go and trigger it. And I think earlier in the window, they looked at other ways of making this deal more economical. You know, they had a player that 
uh, Atletico Madrid were interested in, in Lucas Torreira, but Atletico were absolutely adamant they didn't want any kind of exchange. They wouldn't accept anything below the clause. And ultimately, Arsenal had to go and press the button on the final day. Uh, they did explore other deals before this, principally Husamawa of Lyon, which they looked into and attempted to do, but ultimately couldn't find agreement with, with the Lyon chairman, Olas. So Was he the preference? The truth is that they needed both types of player. Yeah. They needed a creative midfielder and they needed a holding player. And I don't know if this tallies with what you've heard, David, but you know it was a sense of this was the deal that they could do under the circumstances they were in in the final few days of the window. Yeah, definitely. I, I, they were pursuing both players in tandem. It's no secret that Party has been the longer-term target. He's older, he's more established, um, and that dates back, as James explains in the in the piece we've done, to what was it, twenty fourteen? No, twenty fourteen. Yeah, wow. when so, he was playing at Almeria on loan was when Arsenal first began watching him. Um, yeah, and in the last two years alone, I think they'd watched him, you know, twenty odd times. Yeah, and I think meetings and the scouting has really stepped up in in the last couple of years since 2018 as a as a transfer became possible. They didn't have the budget to do it in the summer of 2019 after spending so heavily on Nicola Pepe. And therefore, this was identified as, as the main time to go for him. And they knew with him what they needed to do all along. So you would therefore then try and pursue negotiations lower for as long as you can. And meanwhile, Awar was clearly a target that Edu, Mikel Arteta and many others inside the club approved of for that creativity role as it became clear perhaps that Mesut Ozil's role wasn't going to be you know any anywhere near what it's been in the past at, at present non-existent yes William came in but in, in more of a wide role and so I think Arsenal would have liked to have done one or both of them for quite some time but the Awa one had to be done at the right price for Arsenal and when you're going into negotiations with Jean-Michel Orlas it's got to be at the right price for him. And I don't think Arsenal were going to become so fixated on a player this summer that they did everything and pushed the boat out financially to an, a region they weren't comfortable in, in what has perhaps been perceived as a mistake that clubs like Arsenal have made in the past. And so when that deal sort of drifted away over the weekend. I didn't hear of any alternative names being mentioned for that position. I know they had alternatives, but at that late stage, I think it was Awar or nobody for that position. The position where there was another option was in the number six, the the party role, and with Atletico Madrid showing no interest in negotiating for below the release clause, Arsenal did explore the possibility of signing Jorginho from Chelsea. But I don't think that was realistic. I don't think Chelsea were ever likely to want to strengthen Arsenal. And I'm not sure he was available full stop. And therefore, over the weekend, Arsenal sort of reignited contact with the party camp. And you only really need to deal with them because when you've got a release clause, you don't need negotiations with the club. You simply go and pay it. And then on Monday morning, this really stepped up. This is when Arsenal decided to go for it and they communicated that to party's camp. And very swiftly, the wheels were in motion for Arsenal to deposit the 50 million euros with the uh, Spanish top flight, La Liga, and also get the medical done with Thomas in Spain, finalised personal terms. And it was done in pretty good time, um, thanks to some incredibly hard work uh, by everybody at Arsenal's end in both Spain and London to make Thomas Partey an Arsenal player and complete that long-term pursuit. If you take the negotiations out with the club because there is a, a release clause to meet and then therefore once you do that, you're not negotiating with the club. Does Did that give them 
uh, James more time to work on getting players out, which presumably they also needed to do to get party in. Possibly. I mean, I think one of the reasons that the the deal happened as late as it did and that the interest in OR was there late too is that Arsenal were probably optimistic they might bring a little bit more money in in terms of player sales. I think at the outset of this summer, you know, the plan for Arsenal was as much about getting players out as getting players in. And they've probably been less successful in that regard. Now, they're not alone in that. There are plenty of Premier League clubs with high-earning players on the fringes of their squad. They've tried to move on unsuccessfully. I mean, Chelsea are a great example of a club who've suffered similar problems this summer. But I do think that probably impeded Arsenal's ability to do absolutely everything they would have liked to do in this window. If you look at the likes of, uh, said, Kolasinac, Socrates, um, you know, Meza Ozil still there. These are players who Arsenal would have been entirely open to losing in this summer, but haven't been able to find takers for or encouraged to move on. Uh, nevertheless, I think given the circumstances, Arsenal can be pretty satisfied with what they've done. You know, alongside party, they've signed Gabriel, who's a coveted centre-half. Other Premier League clubs were really interested in him and he's made a really positive start in the Premier League. They've signed Bukayo Saka to a new contract. They've signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to a new contract. Um, so I think clearly they have sought to give Mikel Arteta uh, some serious backing in a time of significant financial difficulty. Yeah, and it also looks like the backing has come, and James can maybe explain more, for, from the ownership again. We know they put, as they described it, instruments in place to make last summer's spending possible with the arrival of Pepe. And this summer, it would appear that they've done the same because that release clause needed to be paid in full. Arsenal, I'm not sure, have that sort of money available themselves if if their books and finances were to be analysed. James may correct me on that. And so, although a lot of business still wasn't done in terms of, especially as as he mentions, outgoings and and perhaps trying to bring in Awar if it had been possible, not a... Barely any club gets gets a window perfectly right. It does appear that through refinancing of the stadium debt, as we saw, uh, or various other mechanisms, Arsenal are being backed and Arteta is being backed and Edu is being backed by the club ownership. I think, you know, David's point about refinancing the stadium debt is a really good one. I mean, that freed up some of Arsenal's cash reserves, which they were previously obliged to hold. But even so, this party deal, the cost of it is, you know, astronomical, really, for a club that have been through a really difficult financial situation. So it's going to be fascinating to discover, you know, the degree to which the ownership have intervened here. You know, have they forwarded Arsenal some money? Is there a loan in place? Uh, At this stage, we don't know. Arsenal very private about their financial arrangements but for them to find 50 million euros up front and then on top of that you know the salary and the associated costs of any such transfer uh, it did catch quite a few people by surprise what was the reaction of Atletico Madrid to this <laughs> they were less than pleased and of course you know they can't pretend they didn't know about Arsenal's interest in party like I said they attempted to negotiate a deal for him earlier in the window and the clubs were in dialogue over Lucas Torreira but they were not happy at all with the manner in which Arsenal conducted this deal. Uh, you know, formally, the Arsenal were only obliged to go to La Liga rather than Atletico to inform them that they're paying the cause. The message came uh, from La Liga to Atletico that Arsenal had triggered the clause with minutes to spare uh, in the transfer window. And, you know, of course, they were aware by this stage what was going on. They have their own connections. They have their own ways of finding out. 
But I think they were affronted that Arsenal did not approach them directly, did not come through the front door. For their part, Arsenal will say, well, look, we had hours left in the window. Uh, we're only legally obliged to do this and we needed to get that deal done. Our emphasis and our efforts and our energy had to just be on being pragmatic. It was not time for diplomacy, but uh, it didn't go down too well in Madrid, I think it's fair to say. The story that was everywhere yesterday was uh, was the one that you broke, James, about uh, uh, that had nothing to do with transfers. It had to do with Arsenal getting rid of Gunnosaurus in their latest cost-cutting measure. Mm. Did anybody at the club consider whether that was a really good thing to put out on deadline day when you were about to sign a 50 million euro player or or are the <laughs> or do you think it's journalists that more link that rather than fans i think the timing is somewhat coincidental in terms of when the news you know came to the surface and, and we got hold of it and published the story on in david's column and the fact that that happened to fall on transfer deadline day as you make the point you know it does seem contradictory to be allowing staff to leave or or, as, or asking staff to leave as Arsenal have been all summer as part of their redundancy programme and a, a wider cost-cutting programme and spending a lot of money on a transfer. But the only thing I would say in fairness to Arsenal is they have been pretty consistent in saying that the cost-cutting measures they are taking and the degree of financial streamlining they are going through is to give them more ability to strengthen the team. And they have said from the very start our priority is to be a competitive football team. Our priority mm. is the sporting side of the business. Um, and, you know, while it might not seem, it might seem like a drop in the ocean, you know, one person's salary, uh, if that is where the emphasis is, I'm sure Arsenal fans appreciate that too. But it is a really complex one and it's, it's sad, of course. There was a huge outpouring of affection for Jerry and for Gunnosaurus yesterday um, which probably I think caught some people off guard you know the degree to which it certainly caught me slightly off guard the degree to which you know this story seems to have chimed with people because you know he is someone who is incredibly well thought of at the club that many players and staff have had a relationship with Uh, and so inevitably there's a lot of sadness at the fact that he's moving on it is, as a fan, one of those things where, you know, there has to be a degree of cognitive dissonance almost, where in order to enjoy the football and enjoy the transfers and enjoy, you know, all the trinkets and accoutrements of, of that day, you also have to hold in your mind this sort of slightly awkward reality that, you know, these are just big businesses and ultimately that is how they're going to operate. Yeah, and that doesn't really sit well with the sentimentality of it all, does it? And and that's one of the sort of fundamental um, fault lines in, in a lot of things at the moment I I got some messages around this from people really high up in the football world saying they were absolutely devastated by the news and and more on the human level of Jerry than the sort of the character of Gunnosaurus James thank you I can guarantee that no other deadline day podcast will have had the phrase cognitive dissonance in it so (laughs) thank you thank you very much for that we will uh, we will talk soon cheers cheers This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Well, before we go, let's uh, just round up a few other things that have happened during this uh, transfer window. Ollie Kay's written a piece on The Athletic. Uh, Jack Wilshire, what happened, uh, released by West Ham yesterday. I find this a ve- such a, a sad story and also fascinating as to where he might go next and what might suit both his game and his body. Yeah, it's been a tumultuous career, really, for Jack Wilshire, hasn't it? It's, it's really sad. You're right. And he was such a talent when he burst onto the scene. And even in his senior career, he's shown flashes of world-class talent and potential. Uh, those injuries have, have ruined him, to be honest. And it dates back to an injury, I think it was one summer playing for England when he'd played a hell of a lot of football the previous year with Arsenal and then it was one thing after the next and he was in a good place as I understand it I think we reported it in one of my columns early this year or at the turn of the year that Wilshire had been put on a program when he was on loan from Arsenal at Bournemouth and that seemed to have solved his problems and he didn't play a great deal for Bournemouth but he came back to Arsenal in fantastic shape got the move to West Ham and I'm not sure that that programme was continued because Manuel Pellegrini, who was the manager at the time, was very keen on everyone being present at every training session if they were going to be available for selection. And then there were changes in medical staff and managerial staff and David Moyes has come in. And I think towards the end, it's been a little bit acrimonious behind the scenes. Wilshire hinted at it in his statement saying that he was fit and available to play. Whereas the words coming out of the club were that he had suffered injuries, gone for scans, and it made it look like he wasn't available for selection. So this does appear to have been the best solution for all parties. Some have pointed out that the severance pay he'll get from West Ham may be higher than he would have got if he had made a transfer on a lower salary to other clubs. So this gives him an opportunity, a financial cushion to to look at other options. I was told quite a while ago that the MLS was, was looking like a possibility there was a lot of interest from him but now he may feel that there's unfinished business in the Premier League in English football in European football and I'm sure he'll have plenty of interest if if a package can be sorted then he's at an age what 28 where he still has a lot to offer I think already he's been on social media offering to go training with his local club Hitch in town so it'd be nice if things ended on a high for Jack Wilshere I say ended he could have a good four five six years in him yet so um, yeah absolutely and and, I th- and 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 I do think he deserves it looking at managers you know there will be a lot looking over their shoulder with Maurizio Pochettino still with out a job. Yeah, Maurizio Pochettino is going to be linked with any of the top jobs as soon as a manager goes through a period of bad results. So we've just seen it with Manchester United now and we know the background to that because there appears to have been admiration in the past, loads of links to Pochettino joining Man United. Over the last couple of years, there will be links to the likes of Barcelona and Madrid if their managers struggle. I was told at one point that let's see how Frank Lampard goes in in his second season in charge because Chelsea will be watching with a close eye. We know their track record of hiring and firing managers and Pochettino obviously very settled in London. 
might like to uh, move to Stamford Bridge with with his staff. So it's interesting. We talked on, on the podcast and in the column how he turned down Monaco. So opportunities have been coming his way. We'll be watching very closely, but but he will too. Uh, and we have, uh, what do we have? Uh, two, uh, two and a half months until the January trans- transfer window opens? <sighs> Blimey, it's not long. The interesting thing there, I suppose, is it is a short period before it goes again. So... For some clubs, working on deals actually won't stop. Just because the window has closed, they will, as we alluded to right at the top of the show, they'll already be looking at at what to do, well, maybe even working on stuff in January. It's not they will be, they are. They're looking yeah. right now. Many players will already have identified it as a chance to move. Many clubs will have identified it as a chance to move players on or to bring players in. First things first... The domestic window is still open, so do keep an eye on the likes of Joe Roden, who's keen on a move to Tottenham. Tottenham do like him, but they need to shuffle their squad around, see if they've got space, and I don't think they're going to want to pay the sort of fee that Swansea would want for him. Danny Welbeck is now a free agent, and I, I'm sure a lot of clubs will be looking at him as a as a cost-effective attacking option. The likes of Carlin Grant, possible move to West Brom before... That Friday, the 16th of October deadline, Jack Wilshire, we've mentioned Joshua King to a Premier League club. I think that's a high possibility. Another one to keep an eye on is Ismail Assar of Watford. There seem to have been some inquiries late in the window from Manchester United about taking him on loan with an option to buy, but the clubs couldn't agree on what the option to buy would be. And Watford, of course, want a great deal of money for a player who has enormous potential Um, and other clubs were interested in him as well the likes of Crystal Palace Liverpool were linked as well so yeah he's he's another one who uh, is just worth keeping an eye on the January window comes around we're going to see the agents the executives um, the players themselves it's a frantic period isn't it but it opens again soon and so we'll be talking about these deals all over again I'm just pleased I'm not going to be flooded with messages on social media asking me to announce party or announce Awar, <laughs> although I guess Awar well, could come back up again. Absolutely. There's no doubt you're going to be flooded with messages on social media. I mean, you were trending for a while yesterday uh, uh, as well. Um, I wondered whether you'd signed. <laughs> probably for, not for the right reasons. I, know, I probably. wondered whether you'd signed for someone because you were trending on deadline day. Um, have a rest for a couple of days and then we'll be back. Yes? I'll try my best. Thank you. All right. <laughs> See you next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. Cheers, Mark. Thank you. 